Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion, Thursday morning, February 4, 2021. 62 million people missing. What happened? Now that got your attention, didn't Jonathan is... It's good to see you, Millie and Susan and Mary, Kirk and Wilma. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. And you make today special. It's just a group of people from diverse backgrounds coming from all over the United States and later in the day, many from other places that join in with us. Thank you for being a part of this. You will want to Say a prayer today. I need your prayers because I do have a difficult topic that I want to discuss. And uh, I would ask you to share this with others. Share this with others. Because this is a day and an age that there is a moment of clarity coming. There's a moment of distinction. And it's a distinction with a difference. And it goes to the fundamental nature of who we are as the people of God and our roles as ambassador for a higher and a heavenly kingdom. And I think it will impact all of us today. It will impact you. And so I do ask for your prayers because my spirit, I, I, it has to be right in how I address this. And I'm concerned that in times past, when this is discussed, our spirits are just not right. I could avoid the subject but I can't avoid this subject for there is a fire burning on the inside of me that a fire that will not permit me to be silent. You see, silence is the easiest but costliest choice. You and I are told and we've been told that silence is golden. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said that everything's blamed on Abraham Lincoln and We're told it's golden. Silence is golden. But when it comes to the moral and the ethical realm, righteousness, unrighteousness, silence is only fool's gold. It may seem the shiniest and the best option, but it purchases nothing but false security. I've pastored in the same town for 33 years. This is also the town where I served in the local church ministry for years before that. I I, I once expressed... an opinion on a moral matter that was coming before our town this many years ago. And I can't remember if it's a school situation, something of concern in the city. And word came back to me from the cabal who pretty much thought they ran the town. I think they did run the town. That preachers should stay in their lanes and they should preach and that the town leaders would lead. And that we had a voice, but it was confined to the four walls of the church. It seemed efficient, seemed like a good division of labor. But it also shows a remarkable lack of understanding that it's been Christians in America. It's been the pulpits of America that have brought much change to this and other nation. Take away the believers, take away the pulpits. And it's doubtful this nation, this people would have had the spine to become a nation. Silence the pulpits, silence believers in issues like temperance, suffrage, abolition would have never been on the forefront of people's minds. It was a preacher's kids. Henry Ward Beecher, a preacher himself, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who were at the forefront of eradicating slavery from our nation's shores. 
If believers are silenced, if pulpits are silenced, if we say nothing and speak nothing, then we're not the salt and light of this earth. We are morally and ethically compromised. I mentioned in a previous devotion, Martin Niemöller, uh, when he was a preacher in Germany who opposed the Nazi regime as the rise of it in the 1930s. He was not a perfect man. He admitted time and again how insensitive and how callous he and others had been to the plight of the Jews up to and through the Holocaust. But one thing you can say about Martin, he was not silence. He gave voice to a moral imperative that what was happening was wrong. He's best known for a quote. Now, he spoke extemporaneously, not from notes, and he spoke in so many different settings that this quote has many, many different variations. But perhaps one of the most common variations is found at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial, and it's enshrined there. Martin Niemöller said, first, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. He said, then they came for the trade unionist. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. This is the issue, folks, isn't it? This is the issue. Not whether we agree with this one or we agree with that one. But if we don't speak up for what is right and true, speak up for what we believe, then who will there be to speak up for us someday? Silence is the easiest but costliest choice. So today, I'm sorry if this makes anyone feel uncomfortable. I feel sad that in this culture we can't speak of moral values without it becoming a politically charged issue. We now live in a country and perhaps a world where it seems to have an option to seems to have an opinion or belief contrary to the dominant culture is defined as hate speech. So voices are being canceled, deplatformed, silenced, silenced. But while I have a voice, I want to speak. I'm not I'm not a great preacher. The greatest preacher in the world is the human conscience, that inner voice that speaks within us and sings in a sublime duet with the Holy Spirit. It's the conscience, the inner man, the inward reins of the heart that instruct us, teach us, guide us, train us, propel us. To silence the conscience is to grieve the Holy Spirit's. Silence the conscience and it eventually it will become corrupt and seared, an unhealthy conscience. And the voice you hear from the conscience will be misguided. It excuses when it should accuse. It accuses when it should excuses. So I need to describe something today, something that I'm hearing the sublime duet of my conscience and the Holy Spirit say. This is not, this is not a political statement. It's not anti a political party. It's not anti a particular person. This is what I believe based on my understanding of the word of God, seeking after his face, his character to know his ways, based on what I believe the word of God teaches, based on what my values are, based on what my conscience 
and the Holy Spirit have been saying to me. Never forget that the Spirit speaks expressly in the last days. God is going to speak very clearly, if not loudly, and your conscience and my conscience will sound the alarm bells. Silence is the easiest, but costliest choice, and I refuse to be silent today. 62 million people are missing in America alone. One billion people are missing worldwide. No, this isn't the rapture. No, this isn't the coronavirus or pandemic. This is from abortion. To say the word abortion is to create a reaction. One of the most difficult words to say or discuss It has a lot of freight, a lot of baggage of emotions and conflict and politics and hurt. To say the word is difficult for me personally. I pastor in an area where there are extreme political viewpoints, a multiplicity of opinions, perspectives, each approaching this issue and others from different backgrounds and vantage points. And I appreciate that. And everyone has the right to their own opinion. But I do ask you to consider the human impact of abortion. And difficulty should melt with clarity. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, a Supreme Court that legalized abortion nationwide, there have been 62 million abortions in this nation. Look at 100 years between 1915 and 2015 in the Abortion Worldwide Report. In 100 years, 100 countries, the number of abortions was 1 billion. 1 billion. You see, to some, abortion is a political issue, a hot-button issue in political platforms and dialogue. But to many of us, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with political parties. It has to do with humanity. The humanity of 62 million people lost through abortions in this nation. The humanity of people living with the consequences of those abortions, the anger, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the regret. The humanity of physicians, nurses, medical professionals sworn to abide by the Hippocratic oath or a modification to do no harm. And by the way, the original Hippocratic oath called out not being involved in abortion. Yes, the humanity, our own humanity, the cost to our own humanity. Who are we as a people when we can turn a deaf ear to the silent cries of the most innocent amongst us, unborn lives? Who are we as a people? when tissues, organs, and body parts of the unborn are commoditized and monetized. Yeah, it's difficult to talk about for so many reasons. For me, I'm a man. That's an unchosen gender designation. God made us male and female. I mean, even in this present day, when it's supposedly acceptable to self-identify as one gender or another, it's never permissible for men to speak about this subject. That's taboo. It's a women issue, and we're told. But I believe the life of the unborn is an issue that affects all of us, and it requires all of us to speak out about. Second, it's difficult for me to speak about because we don't live in a society which fulfilled Martin Luther King's dream that we will not be judged by our skin color, but by the content of of our character. Abortion in America disproportionately targets people of color. I I can't even believe I'm saying that, people of color. I was raised by parents who taught me to look beyond skin color, to love people as they are, who they are, how they were born. Racism was anathema in our home. And my heart is grieved. My heart is grieved for 
so many reasons today. But abortion strikes people of color particularly hard. The origin of the abortion industry in America is enshrouded in racism. Margaret Sanger, its founder, being Exhibit A in that regard. 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are located in the hearts of community dominated by people of color. It's difficult to talk about that of the 62 million people missing in America today, a staggering percentage of them are people of color. And if I'm being political or racist for pointing that out, then I guess the cancel culture in America must have reached a fevered pitch. Third, it's difficult to talk about because people's minds are so made up. Our educational system has so indoctrinated. The media is so indoctrinated and ingrained this way of thinking. It just makes me wonder, how did we come to this? We were in 21 days of prayer last month. I didn't bring it up. But last month marked the 48th anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. In 48 years, 62 million Americans are now missing. 62 million more Americans who would be living in this nation right now, working, breathing, worshiping. How did it happen? Abortion has been around for millennia. Read your history books and you're going to find it there. But legalized abortion to the degree it is now is a recent phenomenon. It's not been around for millennia. It's relatively a modern thing. And that, that's the word. That's the word that explains partly how this happened. It's the word modern. The whole idea of modernity, modernness, is that we shed the roles and institutions of the past. We step into our future. We have an autonomy that previous generations did not have. Modernity then clashes with maternity. In our country, when the sexual revolution hit in the 60s, one of its tenets was women should be equal with men in all respect. And the argument became, if only a woman could become pregnant, then a woman was not equal with man, then a woman should have the right not to carry a baby to term and abort it. And so the appeal began for a nationwide right for women to claim their equality by being able to terminate a pregnancy if they so desired. I'm just telling you that's how it came about. No legislation, only a Supreme Court case, one decision, and it suddenly became the law of the land, and it caught many Americans off guard. Today, 62 million Americans are missing. That's what happened. If it was just a historical event, we could be a little more detached, and we could look back and examine it and and say, hmm, this is how it happened, this happened this, this led to that. But it's not simply historical, folks. It's contemporaneous. It's ongoing. It didn't just happen. It continues to happen in our world today. It's not just a historical issue. It's a biblical issue. Humanity is made in the image of God. You and I learned that from the very first chapter of the Bible, that we were handmade by God, made in his image. We have his nature, his worth, his breath in our lives. Is that just after we are born? No. Psalm 139 says, God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you, oh God. The unborn person is still a person, unlike what modernists attempt to say, that it's just a bit of tissue 
It's a person in the sight of God. God said in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I set you apart. And what about when Mary was carrying the unborn Jesus and met her cousin Elizabeth, who was carrying the unborn John the Baptist? At the voice of Mary, the unborn John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. And Elizabeth, the Bible said, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. That's part of our Christmas story. The law of the Old Testament is similar to many laws today, that if an unborn child is injured or killed because of the bodily harm to its mother, then there is a penalty for the perpetrator, the born and the unborn, equally alive in God's sight. Red, yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight. And what does God think about abortion? In the Bible, it would be classified, Proverbs 6, the Lord hates the shedding of innocent blood. Why did God turn his back on his people? Psalm 106 gives us one of the reasons they shed innocent blood, sacrificing their sons and daughters. Revelation 6 says the souls of the innocent cry out to God saying, how long? How long until you judge the earth? and avenge our blood. Now, this is not just a political issue, and don't don't try to reduce it to that. It's not one party over the other. It's not one race over the other. It's not a historical issue. It's not even just a biblical issue. This goes straight to the heart and throne of God. It's who we are as human beings made in his image. And that brings us to this moment. This is the year, you may or may not know this, but this is the year that it was anticipated Roe v. Wade could have been overturned. A strong conservative majority on the Supreme Court, the many cases of late that have made their way to that level, and many of the recent rulings show that greater and greater restrictions are being put on this practice. Yet whether that happens in this politically charged environment remains to be seen. The political winds and fervor are blowing so strong across our nation. The threat to add members to the Supreme Court to reduce the conservative majority, that is an active, ongoing threat. The current administration has called for a review to study structural changes to the judiciary, not only affecting the Supreme Court, but all the courts in the land. So I don't know if the Supreme Court would have the moral courage to address Roe v. Wade in this season. Just don't know. But in one of the recent executive orders, our president is calling for the codification of Roe v. Wade. In other words, there's never been a law. There's never been a law allowing national right to abortion. And he's arguing that that needs to be codified into legislation, not just a court decision, but in legislation, a law that is passed. Two other issues are happening right now. First is the so-called Mexico City policy. You remember this day, January 28, 2021. Remember it. Since Ronald Reagan, every conservative president has followed the Mexico City policy, meaning that the United States will not financially support international non-governmental organizations that promote and fund abortion. Last month, word was sent to these various organizations that the United States would not adhere to the Mexico City policy any longer. And that means that any funding in the future could be used to finance abortion. On January 28, 2021, an executive order was signed signaling that your tax dollars 
can once again be used to fund these organizations who fund abortions overseas. Staggering. And second, at home, is the future of the so-called Hyde Amendment, named after an Illinois congressman. What is the Hyde Amendment? You see, in 1973, when abortion was legalized in the United States, it caught everybody off guard. And a host of concerned groups reacted. And that reaction led to the passing of the Hyde Amendment in the House of Representatives and the Senate in 1976. The Hyde Amendment is a longstanding ban on federal money being used for abortions here in the United States. In other words, Congress said, "Okay, courts, you made it legal, but we can't require Americans who oppose abortion to pay for other people's abortions. Beginning in 2016, it became obvious that the Hyde Amendment was a soon target. Last fall, more discussion was held on this. Now, now the attempt is coming to overturn that amendment. Can they succeed? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But can I say that regardless of who is in control of one branch of government or the other, that God's going to have the final say. And God is going to raise up voices in our midst, people who refuse to be silent any longer. We do not advocate or tolerate violence. Why would we who are standing up for the life of the unborn do such things? We do not advocate standing at the entrances of abortion clinics, yelling insults to women entering. In some sense, those women are victims themselves. They're doing what they are being told and taught as expected and appropriate. No, we cannot and will not justify any behavior that makes anybody who works in those clinics feel threatened or in danger. But we do have a voice. Now, if we speak, I warn you, the modern society will condemn us. They'll throw the typical insults at us that we're somehow insensitive, cruel, out of touch, unchristian, or more egregious, that we're somehow misogynist, women haters, racist, elitists, or politicals. No, we're just believers. We believe there's a God in heaven who created us and who will judge the hearts of men and women someday. And for us to be silent in the face of this injustice is to be complicit in the same. We would be the watchman who never raised the sound of alarm. We would be the person who refused to rise up and speak out. Silence is the easiest choice, but it's also the costliest because in our silence, we lose not only our voice, We lose our moral compass. We lose our sense of right and wrong. We lose our humanity. We lose our God-made identity. It was years ago when I was a much younger man, I decided to speak out. I've written three iterations of a curriculum called Worth the Wait, and I've shared it through the years with tens of thousands of young people across America. In those sessions, I would frequently say, If you ever get to a place that you've made a mistake and you discover that you are pregnant and you are with child, you're contemplating what to do. And here's the words I would say, just because you made one mistake, don't make two. And through the years, through the years, people have reached out to me and they've said stuff like this, Pastor, I was in the audience at such and such a city on such and such a day when you made that statement just because you made one mistake, don't make two. 
Nobody in the building knew I was pregnant. No one but God and me. And when you said that, I made a decision. I would keep the child. Many went on to have the children to raise the children. Some put them up for adoption. And through the years, I've received notes in the mail and photos of children. Children who would be a statistic today. Children who would be part of the 62 million plus missing in America today. But they are alive. They're alive today because young women had the courage to choose life. Had I not spoken, would the outcome have been the same? Perhaps, and maybe most probably. But we have an obligation to speak, an opportunity to speak. We must speak. But when we speak, we don't speak hate. We don't speak put-downs and shame and regret. We speak life. Solomon said death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So I say, speak. Speak. Morning Devotion Group, speak. Charles, Brenda, Don, Cindy, speak. We don't speak hate. We don't speak ridicule and put-downs. We speak life. We speak life over the next generation. We speak life over previous generations who made that second mistake and are living with regret. We speak life. I love that passage of scripture in the psalm from this day forward and forevermore. I will praise the Lord. I can't do anything about the past, but take it to Calvary. But I can speak to you today. I speak to someone today making a difficult decision. I speak life into your heart and mind. And I pray these words impact you and others. And to those in your sphere of influence, speak live. 62 million people are missing in America. One billion more around the world. It's time to speak. We can ill afford the luxury of silence. Speak. Speak now. Speak truth and love, but speak. And to this morning devotion group, I would say we need to speak and call out on heaven. We need to have an Acts 4 experience. We've had an Acts 2 where we were filled with the Spirit. We need to have an Acts 4 experience where we're given boldness to step forward into the public sphere and to not be silent anymore, not be antagonist, not to be iconoclast, not to just go out and provoke and, and give our passive aggressive opinions, but to speak, to speak clearly, to speak truth and love, and to speak live. Thank you. Thank you for saying a prayer for me today. I felt it. I felt it in the sharing of this with you. 62 million people in America. What happened to the those that are missing should not happen to anybody else. Let's pray. Let's speak up and let's speak out. Share with this with others. Like, share, follow the page. Thank you for being a part of this today. And thank you for seeing it through. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.